Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkoff, and it is the late summer, and I am in New York City, although I'm about to go, actually get out of New York City for the first time all summer. Tomorrow, uh, I'm very glad to be joined for this episode by Rosa Brooks, who is in a car coming back from the beach or something, the life that she leads. Uh, Hi, Rosa. Hi, David. Um, And uh, joining us also, we have... Uh, Joe Serencioni, who is where? Uh, where are you, Joe? At your office, your home, at, your... at the glass enclosed headquarters of Plowshares Fund in Washington D.C. Well, uh, it and looked very siren elegant. Was that? That wasn't uh, my siren. <laughs> I, th- I think that was David's because it's all yeah, quiet. It was... It's quiet in Washington. Yeah, but it's not on my my window of my study. Looks out over the intersection of Carmine Street and Sixth Avenue in New York City, and so it is always a scene uh, because this is also where you find Joe's Pizza um, ah. which always has a line going down the block. Um, in any event, that's probably more information than people need unless they're trying to geolocate me. Uh, if you were trying to geolocate the President of the United States this weekend, you would have turned to Biarritz, France where he was at the G7 meeting Plenty to discuss and unpack there, but of course the main headline that came out of bringing together the leaders of the seven most important industrial economies in the world uh, was that uh, the most powerful man in the world would like to use nuclear weapons on hurricanes. (laughs) Fortunately, we have um, Joe here, who is a, a, a nuclear weapons expert, And you can explain to us just how that would work. So there's a hurricane approaching Mar-a-Lago. Do we drop the the nuke directly onto Mar-a-Lago and hope that it works? Or what what do you recommend? (laughs) Well, it's surprising how often this stupid idea comes up. In fact, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Agency, NOAA, has a website on precisely this topic. Uh, talking about why we don't do this. But it's probably my colleague, uh, Catherine Kilo, who, recording our own podcast, pressed the button this morning, put it most uh, succinctly. She said, it's never a good idea to throw radioactivity at a fan. And that, in essence, is what you'd be doing if you tried to use a nuclear weapon to disrupt a hurricane. You would be spewing radioactivity all along the path of the hurricane. Never a good idea. But in addition, it it wouldn't work. And that's because the power of a hurricane is is 
exponentially more powerful than any conceivable nuclear device you could uh, you could conceive of. Dropping a bomb oh my would God, not. No. Does, does that mean we can weaponize hurricanes? We could train them. We could train them and send them out against her enemies. Well, as you probably know, Rosa, there has been considerable effort over the years from the Department of Defense to try to weaponize weather, you know, to, to try to make it rain, for example, to try to, could you create windstorms? And so there, there have been these efforts over the years. No, unfortunately, Mother Nature is still more powerful than anything the Department of Defense can devise. Well, I think... I think you're onto something, Rosa. I just like the idea of having, you know, you know, some army unit that's out there trying to guide hurricanes in the directions of our enemies. Um, but but we could Rosa, miniaturize them and have little little swarms of nano hurricanes. Nice idea. Really, you're 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 really creative today. So perhaps you could answer this question: If what Joe says is true, and I have no reason to doubt it. And dropping a hurricane, uh, dropping a nuclear weapon into a hurricane would not actually end the hurricane, but it would spread radioactivity over a big area. Why would anybody want to do that? Why would the president of the United States? <laughs> I can't answer that question, David. <laughs> <laughs> I, I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> I mean, even the United States government, which he is ostensibly the head of, um, uh you know, th thinks that it's a it's a terrible idea. What do you think, Rosa? Has the president saying crazy shit like this? And and I know you're in the presence of your offspring, and so you don't want to use language like this. And your dog, presumably, you don't use bad language in front of. Um, but it seemed like this was kind of the drift of the whole G7 for him. He would say crazy things like this. Uh, he would not show. He didn't show up for the climate portion of the discussion at all. He said he was too busy meeting with uh, the German chancellor, not really thinking that people could actually go into the next room and ask the German chancellor where she was. And of course, she was in the climate meeting. Uh, he said that he had struck a deal with the Japanese on trade. And then the Japanese said, well, actually, no, we 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 haven't struck a deal yet on trade. He said he had spoken to the Chinese on trade. And in fact, the Chinese then said, well, no, we actually haven't spoken to the president on this. And then he capped the whole thing off with a little cherry on the top. And he said, um, I think the next G7 meeting, which is in the United States next year, should take place at the Trump Doral Resort in Miami Beach which, according to the President of the United States, who didn't have enough time to go and discuss climate catastrophe, um, has great ballrooms. Um, and, and so, Rosa, do you see a pattern in this? Is there something you want to put, put this together and draw some conclusions? <laughs> yes, that, that something is crazy. Um, I mean, you're, you're engaging in the age-old but, but pointless game of why does Donald Trump do and say the things he does and says. And the reasons have something to do with the, you know, the mysteries of Trumpian neurology, biology, et cetera, who, who can say why he does or says anything. Um, so I, yeah, it, we, we, we scientists refer to this as crazy. Um, and, and, and are you qualified to make that diagnosis? I, I am, I, I know quite a lot of crazy people. 
Um, so yes, I'm, I'm an expert. Oh. I'm an expert on crazy. Um, oh. No, I mean, I mean, I do think it would be fair to say that his, not so much the um, magnitude of each individually crazy or or creepy idea he throws out, but the the rapidity and variety of crazy in Trump's case does seem to increase when he feels like things are not going well for him and he feels under pressure and he feels like the world is being unfair to him and people don't love him as much as they should. The more he feels under pressure, the more we see this kind of, you know, rapid fire, uh, uh, you know, drifting, spinning from one crazy idea to another. And, and I do think that the combination of you know, bad, bad financial numbers uh, uh, on Wall Street, um, emerging signs of a possible future recession, um, criticism he's been taking, uh, bad polls in terms of the mm -hmm. 2020 election field. Um, all of these things are making him feel edgy, vulnerable and angry. And so he's doing his, you know, usual let me try to change the subject. Let me try to confuse everybody. Let me, let me just toss out, you know, crazy, 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 and crazier, mm -hmm. uh, and see what happens. If I could just add, David, and this also, this is also his his method of trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat. So here we have a problem. It's hurricane season. There are hurricanes developing in the Caribbean. It looks like we might get even the Caribbean's going to be threatened by one soon. It looks like the U.S. might get one in a week or so. Well, what can I do? What kind of magical thing could I do that could sort of fix this? That's outside the box. And he and he turns to nuclear weapons, which are everybody's sort of fantasy solution. You know, if we're going to get threatened by an asteroid, let's use a, a nuclear weapon. Uh, uh, there's a possibility of war. Well, we'll have nuclear weapons to try and stop the war. And in this case, he imbues the weapon with this kind of magical property that he, as the chosen one, could then employ, you know, to sort of stop the tides. It's really a King Canute type of thing that he can command the hurricane to stop. It's fanciful. It's, it's megalomaniac. Uh, it's 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 terrible science. Oh, and by the way, it also would violate various international treaties. We, the United States, signed a treaty in 1990 limiting the size of nuclear weapons for peaceful uh, uh, purposes down to 150 kilotons. Uh, uh, today, and by today's standard, a relatively small nuclear weapon, certainly one that could not change the path of a, of a hurricane. And this was back in the days when people still thought that somehow nuclear weapons could form a useful purpose for excavating excavating mines or building reservoirs. The Soviet Union built a very nice radioactive lake in Siberia with this method. <laughs> but but the, the president still seems locked in this very old-fashioned, magical way of thinking. Well, you know, his uncle was a professor at MIT. And very smart, very smart. Very smart. He was very smart. He won, like, the National Medal of Science from Ronald Reagan. Um, he was not a nuclear scientist, however, although Trump regularly says, my uncle was a professor at MIT, so I understand yes. nuclear weapons. Let me ask you a question. If a nuke is too weak to just move a hurricane, what about like an afternoon shower? Could we like <laughs> Go ahead. smaller weather events? Or you a know, swimming like, pool. A sw well, you know, 150 kilotons that the amount 
allowed under the Peaceful Nuclear Explosion Treaty of uh, 1990. Yes, that would disrupt your afternoon shower, Rose's road trip, um, your pizza place. Yes. That so there, there are purpose. some things. There are some things you could productively do with it. But, you know, Rosa, it strikes me that the president's absolutely batshit. And he's saying all of these absolutely batshit crazy things, some of which people say, well, he's distracting. Um, but some of it's just, you know, crazy. And, that, and and it just doesn't make any sense. He says, oh, my wife knows Kim Jong-un. And then it turns out his wife has never met Kim Jong-un and the press secretary has got to come out and say, well, you know, he tells her a lot about Kim Jong-un. So she feels like he knows her and, you know, she knows him. And and it's just it's it's lunacy. But Rosa, my guess is that even as this president descends into insanity, nobody's going to do anything about it. That we're just going to sit and watch this movie until the, you know, train crashes into the other oncoming train. I mean, do you see any signs? I mean, the 25th Amendment is a joke. You know, the people talk about this a lot. But, of course, you have to have half the cabinet and the vice president and then the Congress has got to go along with it. No way that's happening. I mean, you have to be hit by an asteroid for somebody to sign off on that. So, Rosa, we're just going to have a crazier and crazier president for the next 18 months at least. Is that not correct? That is correct. That is absolutely correct. Um, I, I think we, as you said, we've, we've seen that. I, I mean, this, this actually does remain a little bit of a mystery to me. I, I understand the explanations people put forward, but it still baffles me. You know, why? has his cabinet, why have the Republicans in Congress not sought to invoke the 25th Amendment? Because it certainly seems like in the long run, Donald Trump is not going to be good news for the Republican Party. And in the short run, he's extremely bad news for the entire country. Um, so, you know, it is a little baffling. And I, I think the usual argument people put forward for, for that is that Trump remains too popular with the constituents of too many members of Congress. And even though they will privately acknowledge that he is batshit crazy, um, they won't say that to their constituents because they're scared that they wouldn't get reelected and some you know, Trump light person would. Uh, so, so yeah, nothing is going to change. Um, we're gonna have a crazy president. Uh, if we're really lucky, he will not win reelection, re but I cannot see any event prior to the election of 2020 that is going to get him out of that White House. Let me ask you a question. You're there at the Plowshares Fund, Joe, and um, you have been dealing with nuclear issues for your whole life, mm -hmm. um, um, a dozen or more years. And um, at some point or another, you must have considered the possibility that a nut would get their hands on nuclear weapons. I mean, we talk about this kind of thing mm -hmm. periodically. Richard Nixon had the madman theory. Um, and uh, I, I saw, I think Rick Wilson wrote an article and said, we've gone from the madman theory to, um, to a madman. Um, do you, and, and I'm asking this you know, fairly seriously, do you feel that the, systems that we've got in place in the United States are well-developed enough to keep Trump's lunacy from causing big problems. 
Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, the the systems are designed for a different era in constructed in a different century for a very different world. And we're living with them now. And these structures give the president of the United States unfettered sole authority to launch nuclear weapons. That is, he's the only one who can give the order. And as long as it's a legal order, no one can contradict him. Richard Nixon famous, famously said that I, I can go into my office, pick up the phone, and in 25 minutes, 70 million people would be dead. And he was absolutely right. The president can do this. You know, so and if it was a wild order, I mean, for example, if he ordered a nuclear weapon to be dropped on on a hurricane, it's it's not clear that that would be legal and the military would have some ability to push back on that. But suppose there's a uh, a conflict in the Middle East. Oh, I don't know. One of the seven wars we're fighting gets even hotter. And, and things heat up with Iran the way some in the administration want them to. And there's an attack by Iranian forces on the U.S. and the president picks up the phone and orders a nuclear attack in Tehran. That would be a legal order. There is a plan for that. So by definition, it's been pre-vetted. You know, there's a plan for this. Uh, to, to do this, no one could intervene. And the way the system is set up, it's designed for speed and for implementation. So the, the, the generals are, are trained to implement that order. The missile control officers trained to implement that order without questioning. So yes, you have the very real possibility that this president of the United States, for whatever reason, could order one of those pre-existing plans to be executed, perhaps during a time of crisis, and it would be executed and no one would stop him and no one might even know about it except the generals involved, because the way the structure is set up is he doesn't have to consult with anybody. He doesn't have to consult with the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of State or even his National Security Advisor, although I think John Bolton would approve any nuclear use that the president wanted. There's no briefing required for Congress. There's no um, hearing before the Supreme Court. It's the president and the president alone. And if your president is mentally unstable, you have created, for perhaps good reason, Decades ago, you've created a system that gives that madman the ability to start a, a nuclear war. No, we do not have adequate checks in place to stop Donald Trump from doing that. And before I go to Rosa to comment on this um, and to formally hand over her thorny crown of entropy to you, um, <laughs> since since you've you know made a bold play for it here today. Roughly how much time would elapse between the president making a decision like that and something happening? Once the order is given, the missiles can be flying within uh, four minutes. I think Hillary Clinton said, use that phrase in her last election. It's designed to be rapid. The, the missiles are already on what we call, you know, launch on warning capability or, or some hair trigger alert. They're ready to go at a moment's notice in order to be protected should we, they come under attack. But it goes both ways. You can launch them that quickly even if we're not under attack. And the only thing that would stop this is a mutiny by the military. That is, if they refused to implement that order. But in a time of crisis... So, you know, if this was out of the blue, you might they might push back. But if it was a time of crisis, if American soldiers had been injured, if there was something going on, I think it's highly unlikely that the military would refuse a direct legal order from the commander in chief, even if it meant using nuclear weapons. Because after all, that's what they're trained to do. We are ready, as, as Corey Shockey said on your episode a couple of 
weeks ago, last week, I guess, that you know American defense is built around the idea that we are willing, ready and willing to use nuclear weapons. So that's what we train our military to do. All that's missing is the order to do it. It's my pleasure to take a moment here uh, to welcome a new sponsor to Deep State Radio, uh, an organization that it does not require any stretching of the truth to say um, is one of the leaders in it, its field. We are real pleased to welcome The New Yorker um, and to uh, thank them for their support. The New Yorker is, as all of you know out there in, in deep state radio land, if you're anything like me and you are looking for quality journalism, if you're looking for a way to make sense of the times we live in, uh, and if you're frustrated by the superficiality that you sometimes find on television or on the internet or even in daily publications, there really is one place that you can go and find the best, the best editing, the best journalists, some of the best commentaries, even some of the best humor that you can find uh, to make sense of the crazy times we live in, uh, not just in terms of politics and in terms of foreign policy, although that's there too, but in terms of every aspect of life, including culture and books and movies and music. Uh, and, and that is The New Yorker. And I'm incredibly grateful that The New Yorker has seen fit to become a sponsor here at Deep State Radio. Uh, and they are offering for listeners of Deep State Radio a special offer where you can get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6, uh, plus the exclusive New Yorker tote, which is uh, highly valued in all of the neighborhoods that I've been hanging out in recently. You go to newyorker.com slash deepstate, uh, and our listeners save 50% when they enter the word deep state. Uh, and you get access to something that, if you are a listener to Deep State Radio, will be the perfect complement to the kind of conversations you're hearing here. And if you haven't subscribed to New York, The New Yorker yet, this would be a good time to do it. You need it. You need it in the year ahead. Uh, and we hope that you will take advantage of this half-price offer for listeners of Deep State Radio. So, Rosa, you used to work in the Pentagon. What do you think of this scenario? Do you think somebody would say, nope, not going to do it? Particularly, take, take the scenario that Joe just described. Uh, Iran you know, doesn't fall for Trump's um, uh, uh, negotiating ploy. Tensions uh, rise up. And by the way, we should note, the president of the United States, who excoriated Barack Obama for cutting a deal with Iran in which um, a bunch of money was given back to the Iranians that was their money that was being held in, held in, in Western banks and it was given back to them. And he talked to the Iranians about, about, being, about us paying them off. The president today said that um, he hopes to negotiate with the Iranians and that he he could see his way clear to giving a bunch of money to the Iranians if they <laughs> wanted to do a deal um, uh, because he knows their economy is in a, a rough place or lending them money secured by oil. But essentially doing exactly what um, uh, Obama did, only worse because, of course, it's not uh, 
their money. Um, but, you know, you could st- imagine a conflict there, and you could imagine Bibi Netanyahu getting on the phone and calling up uh, Donald Trump and saying, you know, they're going to threaten us at any minute. Israel is at risk here. If we go to the next level of conflict here, you've got to strike first. Um, Pentagon folks going to go along with that, Rosa? Probably. Um, I mean, I think with human beings, there's there's always a wild card. And, you know, we do have a few historic examples of of people, you know, including a Russian. I'm sure Joe will remember his name. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, who, as a, when there was an accidental launch order, sort of said, uh, no, not doing this um, when everybody else was prepared to follow through. Um, so so, so I, I, I don't share Joe's certainty that people would go along with it, although I also think that the likelihood that somebody would put the brakes on it uh, uh, for long enough for it to matter are, are low. You know, the sort of 95 percent probability people would go along with it because that's our law and that's our tradition is that you don't you don't question the president. And, and because, as Joe said, this is a very it's a unique system. It's not the normal president to sec def, you know, decision making process. It was designed for defensive use of nuclear weapons. It was designed for, oh, oh shit, the Soviets have launched weapons at us. Mm-hmm. They're on their way. Um, we only have, you know, six minutes or something to to, to act. Um, and, you know, in that context, to be honest, in that context, it still makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but but, you know, in the context of a unilateral U.S. first strike decision, that process does not make sense. But but in practice, you know, the impact of it is that uh, the usual mechanisms for slowing a presidential action for asking questions, for raising concerns, for saying, hey, we need more information, maybe there's another alternative. Um, those just don't exist. Um, um, and so, you know, it's one thing, it's not that hard to imagine most secretaries of defense saying, uh, you know, no, Mr. President, let's let's think about this a little bit longer. It is hard to imagine you know, general so-and-so followed by Colonel so-and-so saying that, you know, these are not people who have regular access to the president or who have relationships with him, unlike his cabinet secretaries. Um, So I I do think, you know, you have to assume that the overwhelming likelihood is that they would obey. Um, I just, uh, going back um, to uh, an earlier question, you know, or at least to, to sort of a broader question. Sorry about that. That was I've now arrived at my house, and that was my daughter getting out of the car, leaving me here by myself to continue the podcast in the car do, in front of do, my house. Do, do me a favor, Rosa. Just make sure the window is open. Yes, back. we've heard some stories, and um, um, my car is on. Um, oh, um, but 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 I was actually thinking. I mean. Going back to that sort of broader question of the 25th Amendment and who's going to stop him and why won't anybody stop him? And, you know, there's good news and bad news, right? Like, look at look at Hitler. Um, uh, you know, the good news is that eventually Hitler's own inner circle said this guy is crazy. You know, he's going to destroy Germany. Um we have to stop him. We have to kill him. We have to come up with a plan to kill him. So the good news is that quite, even in quite the situation... analogy, quite the analogy. <laughs> well, no, my I mean, my point my point is that you know it's not inevitable that people go along with things forever, even when to return to one of my favorite themes. You know, the overall prior story um, is 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 that um, you know people 
become complicit in terrible, terrible atrocities. You know, um, but here's the bad news. There are two pieces of bad news about this. Um, one is, of course, that the plot against Hitler didn't really get going until Hitler had already, you know, slaughtered massive millions of people. Um, things have to get really, really, really bad, and I don't think we're there yet. Um, thank goodness, actually. Um, the other bad news, of course, is that their plot failed. They got caught and they were executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are those are those are some drawbacks. Um, Joe, just picking up on a point that Rosa just mentioned. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, um, uh, and we'll probably be having a Plowshares Fund birthday party. I hope you do this on an annual basis. Um, but September 7th is the 80th, would be the 80th birthday of Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Petrov. Uh-huh. And, That's the man. And and, and you, uh-huh. you know you there should you have a birthday. You should have a birthday party for uh, him. And I just thought you might want to share with all of the deep state nerds who Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Petrov uh, was, what he did, and why he should be somebody they remember uh-huh. on his 80th yeah. birthday as it's coming up. Yeah, there, there's a, a, a pretty good documentary uh, about him called The Man Who Saved the World. Uh, Stanislav Petrov was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Union's uh, air defense forces. And he was part of the monitoring system for the country's early warning satellite systems. And uh, one day in 1983, they get a warning of a U.S. attack. And they're told that 200 missiles are streaking over the poles and that he has to pass this along and, and, and give the order to launch the Russian retaliatory forces. Again, the Russian forces are on hair trigger alert for precisely this scenario. Once you get a warning, you have about seven minutes to decide whether you're going to launch your forces. So it's, it's you got to do this quickly. So the missile's got to be ready to go. Your decision-making process has to be very fast. And the, the Soviets had the same exact command and control system as, as, as we do. And, and Stanislav says, no, that can't be right. And he questions it. Why would they do this? And uh, they come back and say, you're right, it wasn't right. There's not 200, there's 1,000. Our updated data now tells us there's 1,000. This was all the cause of, some, of a computer glitch in their system. But it was a time of some tension between the U.S. and the Russians. So there's a possibility that it was real, but he refused to believe it. So against all orders, against all training, he did not pass the command up. He just sat on it. And that gave enough time for the... Uh, operators to realize there was a flaw in the system. This was not a real attack. It's okay. Everybody stand down. Um, He was not rewarded for this action. He was criticized for this action because after all, he hadn't followed orders. He hadn't done what his job should should do. He he was feted some years, well, many years later at the the United Nations in a fairly modest ceremony. But his only legacy is now this... um, you know, films you can get on, on Netflix, The Man Who Saved the World, and it shows you how close we came by accident to destroying the world. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's people like that that, you know, got, you know keep us from, from going off the rails. Um, you know, in the United States, of course, the president attacks those people as being part of the deep state. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, uh, we got to wonder whether they're there. 
you know, who who is it that'll say no to Donald Trump? And, uh, you know, there have been a couple of instances, Rosa, people saying no to Donald Trump. Uh, there have been, you know, the case of uh, his request to fire Robert Mueller, which Don McGann, McGann did not follow through on. Um, but, but for the most part, nobody in the Republican leadership says no to him on anything. And, you know, if that, you know, leads to global economic chaos with China, it's okay. That leads to climate crisis getting worse and worse and worse, it's okay. If it leads to people in cages, a violation of human rights, seems to be okay. Um, if it leads to alienating our allies, seems to be okay. Um, and so you wonder, it, you know, uh, if if there's anybody out there that's going to, you know, stand up to that. And, you know, Rosa, this, this past week, a Republican came forward, a guy named Joe Walsh, who said, I'm going to run against him in the primaries. Joe Walsh is, is terrible. I mean, he's just right-wing extreme nut. But, you know, should we be celebrating the fact that at least somebody is willing to call out Donald Trump, Rosa? Yeah, we should. And, you know, Joe Walsh, to his credit, has repudiated and expressed regret for many of his more appalling prior acts. You know, he was one of the Obama, you know, boosters of the Obama's not really American theory and so on. And, and he, you know, he has said, I regret that I helped create this toxic environment that brought us to Donald Trump. And I'm I was wrong and I'm sorry. Um, you know, so would I vote for Joe Walsh over <laughs> any of the Democrats? No, I wouldn't. Um, but I think it's 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 thank God we have seen at least a few right wingers and prominent Republicans and conservatives and evangelicals coming out against Trump and openly challenging him. I, I, I wish we saw it more. And I give I give Joe Walsh, you know, despite the fact that I still agree with disagree with him on, you know, 99 percent of his views, I, I do give him credit for for taking the stand he has taken, which is which is not an easy one to take in this political climate uh, when you are a Republican. See any other signs of hope out there, Joe? Well, and there's others, of course, as you know, Mark Stanford is considering a, a run. So you're seeing some cracks in the support. People, I don't know if any of these are going to succeed. I doubt it. Um, but but you're seeing some cracks. And you're also, you know, as you know, which uh, is Scaramucci. Has is, Scaramucci, is, yeah. Is, is denouncing the president in quite strong terms, calling him a lunatic, a raving lunatic, having a, a meltdown. Uh, on, on the over the weekend, um, you're seeing some signs that that people are afraid that the president is is going too far, is going off the rails. But if it, this is all it is, no, the president can hold this. You're going to have to see one some much more dramatic um, aberrations by the president, and number two, somebody more senior in the Republican establishment, whether it's a business leader or an elected official uh, break ranks before anyone can take this seriously. Um, yeah, well, it, you know, there, there, there seems to be no uh, 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 sign of anything credible as a challenge coming to him. Um, 
course, the Democratic side, we do have Tulsi Gabbard and Marianne Williamson. So, you know, they 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 provide a, a strong front to um, give us give us, I guess, an opportunity to get some of the pro crazy vote um, for uh, for 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 Democrats. Um, just picking up on one other of the things that came out of this um, uh, meeting, uh, Rosa, and, and we'll continue and we continue into the, the broadcast that goes on on Thursday. But a big portion of this meeting was to discuss uh, climate. And the president chose not to attend. Um, you know, Amazon's on fire, uh, Russia's on fire, ice, ice is melting in uh, Greenland. Um, uh, a reporter asked the president at the end of the meeting uh, in, in Biarritz, what should the world be doing about climate change? And Trump's response was, I feel the U.S. has tremendous wealth. I'm not going to lose that wealth on dreams on windmills, uh, which frankly aren't working too well. I think I know more about the environment than most. Um, and I was just wondering what your reaction to that and his 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 stepping out might be on our relations with other countries, Rosa. Uh, <laughs> uh, nothing good, David. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did actually briefly think that maybe his somewhat delusional let's buy Greenland idea meant that he was starting to recognize that climate change is a, a real thing, uh, since you know, <laughs> one potential motivation for buying Greenland would be that if we believe climate change is real and that that ice is melting and is going to melt even more, then at least hypothetically, it opens up this, this wealth of uh, possibilities in terms of natural resources exploitation, you know, who knows what's under Greenland that we couldn't get to under all that ice. And when the ice is gone, uh, we can, you know, drill through Greenland and that'll, that'll be great. We'll find more fossil fuels. So I, so I thought at least the silver lining on that particular curtain was that the buy Greenland plan represented at least some acknowledgement that climate change is real. Um, um, but, uh, if, if so, it didn't last all that long. Um, I, you know, I do find it kind of shocking. Still, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, despite my crown of entropy, I'm, I'm always easily shocked. Um, you know, the world leaders are still being nice to him. People are still treating mm -hmm. him like he's not a maniac. You know, I, I, which I find stunning. You know, I find that as stunning as, as the fact that, uh, you know, Republicans in Congress still treat him like he's, like he's normal. Um, you know, why, why is anybody shake hands with this guy? You know, why are they inviting him? You know, that, that, that I do find that kind of baffling too, that, that far from, you know, that their denunciations of Trump and Trumpism and, and his uh, crazier and more destructive proposals are so subtle that mm -hmm. you could be forgiven for missing them entirely. Well, you know, Joe, I, I, I was leading to something with with this, and that is, you know, whether we have a Petrov in our own government or not, we certainly don't in 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 the Republican Party. Whether uh, or we certainly don't have many. Whether we have controls on him in our own country, there's another kind of control that seems to be emerging, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon to me. Uh, 
and it's you know it's short of what Rosa was, is sort of fantasizing about, which is you know world leaders saying you know Donald Trump you're nuts, um, but it's not that short of it. You know you look at this G7 meeting, they don't take him that seriously. Mm-hmm. They don't let him set the agenda. Uh, they um, sort of humor him, but you know they've developed in Macron and Merkel and Trudeau. Uh, have all developed this kind of ability to sort of say, oh, yes, very, very nice to see you, Donald. Your hands are looking larger today. And then <laughs> and, and, and then and then to say, you know, to their own press, uh, you know, we we still believe in democracy. We think the environment needs to be addressed. We are not going to get into a war with Iran. Macron reached out and had Iranian uh, Foreign Minister Zarif come and fly to France to meet with him. Yes. The, the, the alliance is 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 kind of humoring him a little, but 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 essentially pulling the levers of power away from him, not being influenced by the US in the way they have been in the past. And I'm just wondering whether you think that has some longer term repercussions. Yes, I do. But And here are the, the midterm repercussions. What can we expect over the next 18 months? You see the alliance system adapting to the insanity of the president of the United States. And remember, they know that this is a very powerful man, whether he's, he's the man who can launch a nuclear weapon whenever he wants. I think most of them probably discount that. They think, well, he's not really going to do that. I think they should pay more attention to that. But he also has many other tools at his disposal, including economic tools that could wreck the global economy even more than he's than he's done already. All kinds of individual actions he could take against individual governments that, that go against him. So what they're trying to do is like, you know, mollify him, control him, wrap him in, in some kind of a bubble. And with this Zarif move, you saw them starting to play his game. I mean, this was a reality TV move. This is something out of The Bachelor or The Housewives, you know, where there's a guest that's not supposed to be at the party suddenly showing up, you know, and says, well, I'm just going to go talk to this person over here, even though the other person is the one I really have the issue with. And this is what Zarif did. And, the, and they're trying to find a way to both contain uh, the, the damage Trump can do and, and entice him with his own gambits, entice him into some kind of engagement. You know, maybe, I don't know if Macron wanted Zarif to actually meet Donald Trump, but, you know, he got a lot out of this. The words you quoted earlier in the show, the kind of, you know, peace offering or gesture towards Iran and some gestures back by Iran. So, yes, I think you're going to see the allies continue to distance themselves from the president and unfortunately the United States to find mechanisms where they can cooperate more. I don't know who Macron had had brought into this particular subplot, but it was some of the other officials knew what was going on, just whether Trump did or not. And so and so the longer term trend, unfortunately, is that you're seeing the Western allies, our closest friends, distance themselves from the United States, the country that made the Western alliance possible, and find alter, alternative mechanisms, some of which may survive the Trump presidency. You might see a, a move towards greater independence f- from our allies um, in economics, in climate change, in trade, whether or not Trump is reelected. I think, Rosa, where, we, where we've arrived at is that everybody in the United States government who recognizes the threats we've talked about and a lot of world leaders 
essentially think our goal is because we can't remove him um, because it, it not, the 25th Amendment's not an option and, and the Senate removing him from office does not seem to be an option, mm-hmm. um, that we need to encourage him to play golf, in, you know, encourage <laughs> him to be on Twitter as, as unnerving as that is, encourage him to hang out with his family and to do as little as possible. And we really, st- I mean, it's kind of a weird thing, Rosa, but the whole planet is starting to treat Trump like our kind of crazy aging uncle. And and we just don't want him to get in the car and just try to drive it someplace. I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, and I do think that there is plenty of that going on within his administration as well. I, you know, I, I think that this has come out uh, and made headlines um, at various earlier points. But, but clearly there are plenty of people who just try to keep him from getting news that's likely to make him do something crazy, who try to keep decisions from getting to his desk when they can do that. It's, it's not good enough as a solution, but no question about it, there's an enormous amount of you know, Trump whispering and Trump managing that goes on behind the scenes, uh, some of which we already know about in detail, some of which we we don't and we'll find out about someday. Um, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's sort of like your, your crazy old uncle. You just kind of hope that he doesn't actually kill anybody in the, in the meantime. Mm. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you, you know, you might want to say, have you ever seen the Grand Canyon, Uncle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's more <laughs> arts and crafts. Let's go on a trip. You know, yeah, those, we're going to look at great precipices of the world. Go on, have a nice one. <laughs> a little um, further back. Let me take yeah, a take, a, take, take a step, step back. back. <laughs> this will be a great picture. Oh, um, guys. No, you would never do that, would you? <laughs> no. Let, let's no. be honest. I, I'm going to say something here that's a little bit shocking. Um, and I don't think we've talked about it on, on the on the air of Deep State Radio. But I will tell you that I have been in m- more than two dozen, three dozen conversations with former, very senior government officials, very serious people who are widely respected who will say, you know, sometimes I sit with my husband and go, wouldn't it be better if he just went away? You know, they they get a little more colorful than that. But people fantasize a little bit the way Rosa did, that, you know, somehow magically, Donald Trump... What what did I say? (laughs) Was that me fantasizing? (laughs) I thought that was you. (laughs) Well, I thought thought it was your analogy. It seemed to be one of us, and it wasn't Joe, and it wasn't me, was saying, (laughs) it's just like Hitler when they decided they wanted to blow him up. No, 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 no. That was, I I wish to state for the record that I am not advocating assassination attempts. My My point was simply that, you know, things can get bad enough to override the human tendency to just go along, um, but they have to be very, 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 very bad indeed, and we're not there yet. And unfortunately, even you know, when things do get bad enough and people finally get their act together, uh, often they fail it, because it's too late. Um, yeah, 
Well, in some and respect, that, I'm just saying that in case the Secret Service happens to be listening to our podcast, which I'm sure you know, they, they are. listen on a regular basis. You know those little earphones they wear. You, I mean, they're not talking. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're listening. They're listening to Deep, Deep, State, Deep State, Radio. State Radio. That's Thank the God. whole point of whole point of Deep State Radio is we broadcast directly to <laughs> little earphones in in federal officials across the country. Um, well, look. Uh, this has been a great uh, conversation, incredibly disturbing. I'm going to walk away knowing that we're four minutes from Armageddon. Um, at any moment, Trump wakes up in the middle of the night, he's had a bad cheeseburger, and we're all toast. Um, but that if he decided to attack a hurricane, we'd be okay, except for the except. radiation. Um, but uh, I hope that uh, all of you will not be too dissuaded by this conversation to return for the next episode of Deep State Radio, um, which will be at its usual time later this week. I would add, by the way, that next Monday uh, is Labor Day, so we will not have an episode next Monday, Tuesday, but we will be back at our usual time um, on Thursday. Um, and if you miss us, you want to go back, you want to listen to the archive, uh, go to the dsrnetwork.com and and listen to past episodes catch up on what you've missed this summer um and uh and also variety of articles and other kinds of things we've got going so the dsrnetwork.com and of course while you're there go sign up become a member offer a little bit of support for this venture uh no one is getting rich off of it quite the contrary but at least if you provide some support uh it enables us to you know pay the electricity bills you know um fly Joe in from his Caribbean retreat to join <laughs> us on episodes like this um, and uh, get that high quality audio equipment that we always have in Rosa Brooks's car. Um, so thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Joe. Thank you all for listening. And we'll join you again on the next episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.